A question for you. Do you know what it is that I'm holding in my hand? Uh, let me ask you, what is it that I'm holding in my hand? Uh, a light bulb. Most of you got that right. Some of you need a second or third cup of coffee. It's a very simple thing. Now, I would ask you, what kind of light does this light emit? And that is a much more complicated question, especially these days. I have in my garage a case full of these, but they're not all the same. They look all the same outwardly, but they're very different inwardly. They emit two different kinds of light, one warm, the other cold. If you want to understand between warm and cold light, just look up. Okay, We have both kinds. These fluorescents are that cold, stark, white light. The incandescents are the warm style of light. There's different kinds of light that emit from these bulbs. I was thinking about that the couple of weeks ago when I was cleaning out the garage and replacing some light bulbs. And, you know, it's not just light bulbs that emit different kinds of light. There's people that are like this. You, you know certain teachers in your world. You go to school, and they are there to teach you a subject, but they do it in a cold way. And other teachers, they teach it in a very warm way. Now, I can't tell you exactly all the quantifiable, tangible differences between cold and warmth, but you know it when you see it. You have bosses that are like this. You've worked for them, men and women who are in authority over you, and some of them are cold and unapproachable. And other of them are warm and caring and sincere and loving. And again, it's kind of hard to put your finger on what that list looks like, but you know it when you work for one. You know the difference. Restaurants are like this. You know, maybe you have a hankering for a chicken sandwich, and some will serve you a chicken sandwich, but it's cold, and they really don't care if you're there. Here you go. And others of them, it is their pleasure. <laughs> they do so with warmth. Do you understand what I'm, the difference in what I'm saying here? There's coldness and there's warmth in all areas of life. You know, the truth is that churches are like this too. Churches look the same outwardly for the most part. If you're driving down the road, if you go to a new city, for the most part, you can tell where a church is meeting. And they have maybe have a sign that identifies them as a church. They have a building style. That you, uh, uh, that's a church when you see it. You just know it. And then you walk in, and you experience a difference between a cold church and a warm church. Cold churches, you walk in and nobody hardly looks you in the eye. I went and spoke at a church like that one time. It was very interesting because I was so used to Northside. I mean, if you're around Northside very long, people are going to introduce themselves and come up to you and shake your hand and look you in the eye and smile and all of that. I was speaking there and nobody said boo. Now that was the impression I got we should be careful. We should, we should ask ourselves, are we being a warm church? In a, in, a, in a cold church, worship is very rote, very formal, very check off the list, and then leave. 
There's no joy, there's no love, there's no passion in the songs or in the preaching. A church can be pretty cold. You can tell a lot about the health of a church by what happens after the final amen. How long do people stick around? How long do people linger in the pews and in the foyer? How well are our visitors and guests treated? You can tell a lot about that. Warm churches, people introduce themselves, people smile, you get to know people. Even if it's a large church, there's a warmth. There's what we just sang about. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I identify that there could be people who come to the same church and have completely different experiences. Well, I say, well, this is a warm church because you know everybody and you sit with your family and you've been coming there for decades and you're very comfortable. And so you would say, we're a warm church. But somebody who's been there for the first time, knows nobody, new from out of town, I go, ah, these people are pretty into themselves. Well, we have to work on that as, as a church to work to be warm, to work on being loving and, being, and to love being together. You can tell the health of a church by the warmth of a church. And I'm not talking about the temperature of the room. I'm talking about the temperature of the people. You can tell a lot about the health of the church by the warmth of the church. Well, you said, Toby, you know, you can't make a list, so you know, what do you want us to do? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, because I think the key difference between a warm church and a cold church comes down, the one key difference comes down to two Key words, and it's the focus of our next series. It's sort of a textual, but also sort of a topical series. Those two words are one another. Now, in the English translation, one another, what we we read is one another is two words, but in the Greek is only one word. The Greek word that is translated one another is all alone, which is Hilarious to me that the one another, the Greek word, sounds like all alone. But let's say it together. We can learn a little Greek this morning. What's the Greek word? All alone. Okay? All you have to think about is uh, all alone means one another. It means how we treat one another mutually, reciprocally, and together. This phrase, this word, is used over a hundred times in the New Testament, so it's important. And two-thirds of those verses are in relation to how you and I as Christians in the body of Christ relate to and treat one another. All alone is critical to church warmth, but more than that, it's critical to church health. And it has a direct impact on our witness to the world. In John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this, all men will know you are my disciples. If you love, all alone. If you love one another. Now, some of you sitting here saying, well, we're, you know, we do pretty good at that. And some of you sitting here saying, well, I hope they hear us. I hope they hear this. I'm not preaching to everybody else this morning. I'm just preaching to you. I'm just preaching to you because you're the only one who can do anything about how we love one another. So today, we talk about the one another command that is actually mentioned the most in Scripture, and it is this, love one another. 
If you're in John, from John 13, just turn two chapters over to John chapter 15. And hear the command that Jesus left his disciples. If you don't know where John 15 is, turn to page 1157. In John chapter 15, verse 12, Jesus says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This command is so important that it is laced all the way throughout Scripture and the rest of the New Testament. And so many of the one another verses refer to loving and the importance of loving one another. Now, we're going to take a speedboat across the surface of the water here and just look at a few of those. So, if you got your flippers, start flipping. Go to Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 The Apostle Paul writes this, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This is important that we do so, that we love one another as brothers, as sisters, that familial sense of love. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Peter writes this. This is toward the end of the New Testament. 1 Peter 1, verse 22 Peter writes, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Peter gets to it. It's not just about saying you love, it's about the earnestness of that. Now, lots of people can say that they love you, but they don't, they, their actions misrepresent their words and And I want to pause for just a second because there's some of you who love has been presented to you in an abusive way. If you were a child and you were abused in some terrible way and someone, God forbid, said that they loved you while they were doing that, you need to know that that is not love. If you're a, a, a spouse whose marriage fell apart because someone was being abusive to you. And they would then come and say that they loved you. You need to know that that is not love. And I apologize for those of you that love has been misrepresented. It has to so many people. And so sometimes you hear the word love and it's been so misrepresented You don't know what it means. So I want to encourage you to pour into Scripture. And Peter says, love one another earnestly, sincerely, from a pure heart. In 1 John 3, verse 11. 1 John's a good one to talk about love, and specifically loving one another. So many verses, we're not going to get to them all. But 1 John 3, 11. John writes this. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Jesus' love impacted John in such an important way that he wasn't known as John in his own gospel. He wouldn't even use his own name. He was simply the disciple whom Jesus loved. And John calls us back to that. Let's love one another And that's the message we've heard from the beginning. 1 John 4, verse 7, just go down one chapter. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves 
has been born of God and knows God. So we can see clearly, and that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Scripture. Now, we need to be very, very careful. I've already alluded to it a little bit, but when we talk about the term love and what it means to love one another, that's not a controversial message. Even the world accepts love. The world has hijacked the term love. Jesus said, even sinners, if you love those who love you, what do you gain from that? Even, even the Gentiles do that. The world has abused love as well. Let me give you a simple example with this phrase. And when you see it, you know what that means. The world likes love. They just don't like biblical love. The world says love means you get to define love. You get to love who you want, how you want, anyone you want, any way that you want. And that is not what we're talking about at all. And sadly, some churches sound like this. To them, love means anything goes and everyone's going to heaven. And that's not love either. I call that sloppy agape. Okay? That is not biblical love. And so if you've been religiously abused in this way, I just want you to point you to the biblical picture of love. Okay, we need to be very clear that the Bible describes so beautifully and so perfectly exactly what love really is and what love really isn't. And so if you want to know what that is, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Probably the most well-known scripture on love, but not at all what the world would say about love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a verse we often hear read at weddings, although I don't think... Paul was in picture, picturing this being read at a wedding. It's not necessarily bad, but it's not exactly the context. He's speaking to a church that has lots of trouble. Uh, they, they've got all sorts of issues, but they're all rooted in the lack of true love for God and true love for one another. It was a church that was talented and gifted, had lots of abilities, had lots of skills, but they were lacking in God's love. And Paul knew, and we know too, that such a church cannot long survive and will not make an impact on the world for Christ. We're reading in verses 4 through 7, which is not the whole writing on it, but but this is where we're going to focus. Paul writes, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So here in these few verses, we get a picture of what love is. It's patient and kind. It doesn't envy It doesn't boast. We get a picture of what love is not. It's not arrogant or rude or selfish. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. And we also get a picture of what love does not do. Love does not rejoice 
at wrongdoing. Isn't that so clear? Love rejoices with the truth. And so I can take an example. There's numerous examples of sins I could pick on, but let's just say that someone is in an adulterous relationship. The world would say, oh, that's wonderful. Love is love. Just love who you love. Oh, it doesn't matter that you've ruined your marriage and set your children on a path of just unending hurt for the rest of their lives. Love is love. That's what the world would say. But the church would say, no, that's, that's not good. That's not even love. That's sin. And because we love you, we want to tell you that you, you need to repent of that sin and you need to turn to Jesus. You need to leave your life of sin as Jesus called the woman in adultery to do. You see, that's a simple example of how love responds to sin and how love responds. So, so next time someone says to you, well, love is love, just gently ask them if they would really like to know what God says about love. So let's make it personal. Let's go beyond just getting what love isn't, what love is, and all of that. Let's make it personal to you, because this is where it gets hard. Get your steel-toed boots out. I'm going to do some stepping here. Let's do the love one another test. Just simply put your name inside 1 Corinthians 13 and ask yourself, does it fit? Are you loving in your marriage? Are you patient and kind? Do you insist on your own way? Are you arrogant or rude? Oh, this is cutting me here. Are you loving toward your children? Are you practicing that sort of love toward them? Are you loving in your church? Are you loving toward other people? When people interact with you at your workplace or in the line at the grocery store, or even chatting chatting with your neighbor over the fence? Do they have a distinct feeling and understanding and see in your actions that, hey, there's something different, that there is something loving about them? Just put your name here in this verse and ask yourself, am I acting and behaving in a love in a loving, truly loving, in a biblically loving way, not just in a selfish loving way. The point is this. We are called to love as He loved. When we talk about love, most people talk about love in a selfish way. We love what we want. Okay? But the Bible speaks to call us to that agape which is sacrificial in nature, which lays down itself. We are called to love one another as God loved us. In fact, in 1 John four nineteen says exactly that. We love, not because it's easy, not because it's convenient. No, we love because he first loved us. God made the first move. You see, our love, our human love is selfish. 
We love those who can get something for us. Our human love is guarded. I'm not going to love someone immediately, truly, the first time I meet them. It's going to take some, some time to, to lower the guard a little bit because I've, I've been abused and I've been hurt. Our human love is inconsistent. Sometimes day to day, sometimes hour to hour. Our human love often must be earned. God's love is so very different. It's open to us, to all. It's unending in nature. And it came at the great cost of a sacrifice of himself. So may we love not just because he first loved, but as he first loved us. First John chapter 4, another First John. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. A healthy, a warm church starts by loving one another as God has loved each of us. That's not easy to do. And if you put your name in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, my guess is at some point in your lifetime, probably some point within the last week, maybe some point <laughs> during this very worship service, you missed the mark when it comes to loving, when it comes to being truly godly, loving toward one another. We all do it imperfectly, and that's why we need Jesus, who was the perfect example of love. We need him, we need to be clothed with him, and he is the only way to stand perfect before the Father. And so if you've fallen short of the mark, you need forgiveness, perhaps you need to repent in some public way, we will invite you here in just a moment, we're going to sing a song, and you can head to the back, one of our shepherds will be glad to pray with you and for you. If you need to put on Christ in baptism and to begin your walk, that journey of love, if you just need prayers that, we, that you might do better at loving one another better, we'd be glad to pray with you and for you. And let me encourage all of us, as the people of Jesus, to love as Jesus called us to love. There is no greater love than this, he said, than to lay down our lives for our friends. May we be known as a warm church, not because of the temperature of the room, because of the temperature of the people, because the love of Christ flows within us. May we love in that kind of way. If you have a need this morning to respond in a public way, head to the back right now. Otherwise, we'll be led in song by Jace.